The opinions expressed on this program represent the viewpoints of individual authors or contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of Troy University. This is eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dan Sutter. Hello and welcome to eConversations. I'm your host, Dr. Dan Sutter of the Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. The antivirus software I have on my home computer also says that it scans to see if any of my information, personal information has been posted anywhere on something called the dark web. What exactly is this hidden place that you might have heard about where also lots of illegal transactions occur? Well, it turns out there are some very interesting economics occurring on the dark web markets where some really significant innovations have take, taken place. These markets help illustrate the economics of prohibition and also help illustrate how transactions get carried out in the sunshine of the real world markets as well. Joining me on eConversations today is Dr. Julia Norgard. She's a professor of economics at Pepperdine University in beautiful Malibu, California. And she has extensively researched these mar markets. Professor Norgard graduated from the University of San Diego and then earned master's and PhD degrees in economics from George Mason University. Her research on the uh, dark economics of the dark web has been published in the Journal of Institutional Economics and she presented some of her ongoing research at the economics department here at Troy University a couple of years ago. Welcome to eConversations, Julia, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, let's just start here by talking about what exactly is the, the, the dark web and, and like how did you get interested in, in, in researching this topic? The dark web, or also known as the dark net, is a element of the internet or it's a subsection of the internet that is neither indexed nor accessible. So this is something that other than what we typically call the surface web, which is us just going on Google or any type of search engine and searching for something, that's gonna be information that's indexed and that's gonna be available on the surface web. And then there's a whole bunch of information that our credit card company uses, our mortgage company uses, our employer uses called the deep web. And this is going to be information that is not, or, or is indexed, but not accessible. So Dr. Sutter, I could not look up your credit card information on Amazon, thank goodness. Um, and so that's going to be information that the provider specifically has, but individuals um, who don't have access codes are not able to access that. So the dark net is a very uh, small subset of the deep web, which is neither indexed nor accessible. And that is where a lot of illicit transaction take place. Some of the most prominent things that are traded on that, those marketplaces are, as you mentioned, as you alluded to, um, individuals credit card information as well as illicit drugs and to answer your question about how I got interested in this I was beginning grad school in 2013 when Ross Ulbricht who is attributed to starting the first darknet site called the Silk Road was arrested and this was international news and it sort of acted as a um, a marketing proxy for the darknet. People were saying, wait, I didn't know you could <laughs> buy drugs over the internet. And so it inadvertently brought a lot more attention to the darknet than I think the authorities would like. But he got arrested in 2013 
And as an economics student, I was thinking, wow, this is a really interesting marketplace that has a lot of different elements of a, a free market, so unfettered, um, unregulated market. And I, I was very curious in what were the mechanisms that allowed this marketplace to take place in general and also persist? Well, and just to make uh, clear, although you know, there are a lot of illicit uh, transactions going on there, there's nothing about this part of the uh, internet that, that necessarily must be used for that. It's just the, the nature of the, this portion of the web where people can sort of go to hide or, or, or do some things uh, uh, anonymously without uh, you know, perhaps people being able to snoop on them, right? So there's nothing inherently illegal about this, this portion of the uh, internet. Correct. And actually, thank you for bringing that up. I should have clarified that. So the original encrypted router is known as Tor, the onion router, and there have been other routers that have emerged since then, I2P, for example. But the United States government actually introduced and came up with that technology for Tor initially to do anonymous web browsing. And they were, so the, the main structure of these anonymous web browsers, which is the dark net, are what they do is they connect everybody in the network and they instead of connecting my ip information to the server's information it is randomly bounced through individuals in the network and the reason it's called the onion router is you can think of each part of information being peeled off as the address and information goes through the network reaches the server and then bounces back. So if intercepted, it's very difficult to see where the information came from and where it was going. So the United States government originally came up with the technology to do anonymous web browsing online. However, individuals who had gotten accessed by this type of technology, hackles were up and they were thinking, hmm, okay, this must be the US government. So what they did is they opened the door to the public and there were extra nefarious, unfortunately, actors online uh, using this space other than the U.S. government. And then when cryptocurrency came about, then the door was further open to primarily drug markets being started and different vendors joining these markets. So absolutely, there is non-illegal action taking place here. But because the cost is so high, well, relatively high other than perhaps you and I just jumping on Chrome or Safari on our laptop or desktop or phone, the, the cost is relatively high for this search and it requires extra knowledge. So most users are not going to incur that cost unless they are doing something that they would not otherwise able to do on the service web. So one question that people might ask is if there's a lot of Ill illicit transactions going on there, especially, you know, I guess it's, it's also a place where people can go to try to hire somebody to hack some, you know, to like uh, hack somebody uh, for them or, you know, even like, you know, arrange uh, murders or, or, or a lot of nasty things potentially going on there. Why should we as economists study these uh, Ill illegal markets? Or should, is it something that we should say, well, we, we shouldn't even like study this because we might be encouraging it somehow? <laughs> well, that's a very good question. And even within the, so I am, and you allude to individuals hiring hitmen or individuals hiring hackers. It's very difficult to verify that that's happened. So I've seen multiple pages that offer those types of services, but it's very difficult to actually verify 
was that actually a service that mm -hmm. was rendered or was that some type of exit scam that their vendor was involved in? So as far as I know, these things do happen. However, the prevalence of those those um, service type industries are, are a very low percentage as we know as far as interaction on the, the dark net in general. Now, to answer your question about should economists study this, economists, as, as far as I am concerned, um, especially in the political economy and public choice space, this is what we get extra excited about, things that are out of the purview of a traditional market transaction. And this has information that law enforcement can absolutely use. I think also it can unlock different type of mechanisms and shed light on more just regular transactions and give us information about, and one of the portions that I specifically focus on in the darknet is private governance mechanisms that emerge. And I think this has a lot of various applications to everyday transactions that are not in this illicit space. So I am interested in various mechanisms that make this type of transaction so robust. How can we transfer this economic knowledge to non-illicit transactions? Well, okay, so once we get into this, there's, there's gonna, we're gonna see that there's gonna be a, a puzzle here, and, and that is that, like, you know, suppose, you know, and this, is, this show is not a how-to about how to go on uh, and order you know, illegal drugs or anything, <laughs> but if you got on the, uh, the, the dark net and you, you managed to sign up for a service like this, you, one of the things you have to do is obviously when you're trading for illegal things, you have to be hidden. You have to be hidden from view. You, have, you can't let it be known that you're going on here and, and, and you know, trying to purchase something illegal. But yeah, at the same time, you, since you don't know who the seller is, and the seller is equally a, anonymous, you don't really know who they are, if you manage to get on here and order something, why should you ever expect that it's actually going to arrive? You'll, you'll pay money and, and then like nothing happens, and so who do you complain to? And, 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 and so that, that would seem to be a, a difficulty here, right? Yep, absolutely. And this is something that I particularly am very excited about because these mechanisms, to exactly your point, you'd be thinking, wait, I'm purchasing someone in a country, I don't even know where they are, I know nothing about them, what makes me want to trust them? So in the dark net, there are three main layers of interaction. You have the platform providers, so these are individuals and administrators creating the market. So versus market is one of the biggest markets today. White House market was one of the biggest markets and it recently got shut down. But you have the platform providers with these funky names and there are notorious ones that still exist and then some have gotten shut down. There are vendors on these platforms and then there are the buyers. So each of these groups is semi-anonymous. So the vendors try to create, so you can think of them as being an Amazon or an eBay. So they wanna create envi an environment where both vendors and buyers feel safe and they mm -hmm. feel like this transaction can be verified. So all of these different platform providers provide administrative and monitoring services for both the vendors and the buyers. So they have extensive, and depending on what platform we're talking about, most of them, especially the big ones, have extensive rules and regulations within their system. And they say, you will get barred. These will be the services that we will not allow you to have access to mm -hmm. if you, um, if you violate our terms of service. So especially the vendors, if they are found 
if a lot of buyers report malfeasance, hey, I purchased something from this vendor and didn't actually receive it, then the administrators will step in and say, hey, what's going on here? Also, the administrators want to make it costly for the vendors to do to provide service. And this prevents, and of course, this is not perfect, but it tries to prevent exit scams, meaning vendors come in, they just sell a whole bunch of goods and services and never even deliver them mm -hmm. or never even plan on delivering them and then just get the money. So, so if, if you could are, explain a little bit about how that how that would work, because if, if, if I was going to go on there and I, I attempt to do this thing where I'll just post ads and people will send me money and then I'm not going I, and I have no intention of, of ever sending them anything in, in response. Uh, how, how does like how, how does the uh, platform prevent this from happening? Tell us. Yep. And and they can't prevent it whole cloth, but they definitely do their best to prevent it. So one of the things is they charge a fee for okay. initial posting. So that is is costly to some extent. Also, there is a premium that vendors with good reputations can charge because people feel like, hey, this, and we can think of just our own interaction on eBay or Amazon. You're thinking, oh wow, this person has five stars. And then you're thinking, wait a minute, they only have two reviews. These reviews are probably from you know their aunt Mildred and their cousin or something like that. So to have a robust uh, history of feedback is something that the vendors are incentivized to do because they can charge their buyers a premium. Mm -hmm. Also, buyers are very hesitant to engage, as I was noting with just on the surface, us on the surface web with Amazon and eBay, they're hesitant to buy something from a vendor that doesn't have a, a very robust, large reputation. So one of the things, and this does incur another cost for vendors, is they will offer free samples initially to build mm -hmm. up their their network of buyers. So they they want to build up this network of buyers to encourage individuals to leave reviews. So that's another way that the platform providers try to encourage this interaction that actually the vendors are engaging with the buyers in a true and meaningful way. They also highlight prominent vendors. So they incentivize vendors to provide quick and reliable service. They incentivize buyers to also provide exactly the potency that they advertised. Something that's really interesting about this dark net space is that the availability of information specifically on the chemical makeup, particularly of illicit drugs, is primarily very available on these sites. And oftentimes buyers will test the potency of these specific drugs and post their chemical makeup online. So a platform provider will step in, for example, if an individual buyer reports that there was um, too much baking soda at, relative to cocaine in what they purchased. And so they will flag that as a violation of their terms and service saying, you did not render the goods and services that you promised to the extent that you were they were advertised. So the platform providers step in then and can um, provide a penalty to the vendors, kick them off the platform at all. So they employ a few different enforcement mechanisms within the platform. And we may not be aware of this in our day-to-day -day transactions in the real world economy, but we rely a lot on being able to know who we're doing business with because something called repeat 
buying is probably like the most important element of how markets work and market markets work well because the ability for you or I as a customer if we go to a brick and mortar store and buy something there and we're not happy or there we're not happy with the service we get we simply don't buy it again but we have to know who we're dealing with right for that to work yes and that is an amazing point and that is one of the challenges of the dark net space and the platform providers they know that they're thinking buyers are going to be a little hesitant and they're just buying something from lead guy 101 and they actually don't have a name and face to that so they try to on their platform provide things that where feedback is very prevalent individuals mm -hmm. can give detailed information not necessarily on their person but on the products and services rendered also, many vendors sell a variety of different products. So you can think, hey, this specific product seems relatively new, but oh, this vendor has a very strong, long history of selling these other 10 products. So I feel relatively safe purchasing these type of products. That definitely is an issue. And the best thing that the platform providers do is they tie the reputation to the username and they mm -hmm. make creating a new username pretty costly. So very prominent vendors do have a, 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 a reputation in this space. And what we've actually found, so, so what does that mean? It means that buyers are connecting. Maybe they don't have a personal relationship that you think of that you have with your barista at the local coffee shop, but they're thinking, I do know that we go guy 101 always gets me good fast service. He always sent, he or she always sends me exactly what they is advertised. And we know that these are very coveted relationships with their buyers because sometimes you have a site that is shut down and then you have, um, so each individual username within the platform is tagged to that individual user. But mm -hmm. maybe one of the big platforms is shut down and we will have individuals masquerading as that prominent vendor on new sites. Okay. And so it's incumbent upon, so maybe we guy 101 got shut down on versus market, but they pop up on white house market. It is incumbent for the platform provider to say, does this, <clears throat> excuse me, does this individual vendor actually match the username from this previous vendor? And they have a variety of ways of doing that. Mm -hmm. They, they are able to talk to them in private chat rooms. They're able to ask them to provide verification of different transactions from previous marketplaces and various platforms do allow a transmission or or a um a duplication of one's reputation on a previous platform because they want prominent vendors on their platforms mm -hmm. so they said hey you've built up a very large reputation on sheet market we are going to allow you to transfer that reputation to our marketplace because mm -hmm. we want to take a cut from all the transactions that you're, you are making. And we also want to benefit from the buyers that you're bringing into our marketplace. And at one level, although it might seem it is surprising that a platform could emerge in this dark net to, to bring, allow these transactions to take place. but. Anytime there are potential buyers and sellers, if I had something of value and that you might be willing to pay for, but somehow I couldn't, like, we couldn't transact uh, and get this sold, 
there, there, that also creates value for somebody if they could step in and help us get this exchange made, right? It, it, it creates, every time a market doesn't make a transaction, it also creates an incentive or a profit opportunity for somebody to step in and help make this transaction go if they can. Absolutely, yep. And one thing I wanna point out, Dr. Sutter, just to maybe alleviate our audience's trepidation of this market because there are, there are a lot of illicit seemingly very scary things that happen here, especially in our very dynamic economy. We see very basic goods and services popping up on darknet sites in economies that have very serious shortages of these goods and services. So very basic um, toiletries, for example, I've seen pop up. N95 masks popped up on the darknet when there was a large shortage of them initially with the COVID pandemic. And I interact or <clears throat> I engage in the space pretty often that I have familiarity with whether or not these things are a scam. So I could definitely tell some of them are scams, but it looks like some of the vendors actually were legitimately selling N95 masks. We also see different categories that we would not deem illegal in the United States. Books, for example, mm -hmm. is a category on many of these sites where very few books, if any, that I can think of off the top of my head in the United States are legal. However, in other economies, you have more strict governance. And so various things are illegal th that are illegal in some countries right. are not illegal here, but they are available on the dark net. So it is a very serious alternative to turn to if other avenues and other markets have been shut off in your economy because of a variety of different reasons. But I find that very encouraging as far as that being an alternative space and these marketplaces are already set up, the reputation mechanisms are already set up. So people feel, oh my goodness, we have these extreme shortages. We are not able to get basic, basic, basic foods. The dark net does provide this, this marketplace that individuals are able to access if all other marketplaces are not available to them. There's another problem that um, illicit markets, is even in, especially in the real world, uh, face, and, and that's what's known as a, a lack of third-party enforcement. Explain for us, now that's a term that we as economists are, are quite familiar with, but explain for us what that means and how that can be a, 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 a real impediment to doing business. Yep, absolutely. So if you and I are transaction transacting, and let's say I'm the buyer and you are the, you own a coffee shop down the street called Dan's. And we have, you are selling me coffee that makes me sick or that um, is not exactly what I thought I would pay for. Normally we would negotiate in-house and say, you know, and, and you would oblige and say, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry you didn't get what you would like. Here's another cup of coffee or whatnot. But perhaps it escalated to the point where we need to get a third party involved. You have insurance as a individual business, and perhaps if there was some type of criminal activity happening, this would escalate to a third party and they would adjudicate the dispute between us and say, you know what, okay, let's hear Dr. Sutter's side, let's hear Dr. Norgard's side, what was the coffee battle going on? And this is how we, and, and and as I noted before, typically it doesn't escalate to this, but this is always a third party enforcement that, and even the threat of third party enforcement can keep us in line to some extent. Um, one would hope that just our jovialness as two individuals, voluntary exchanging would, but if things get, it get bad enough, we do have this option of third party enforcement. 
Now in the darknet, they do not have that as you alluded to. So if me and a, I was purchasing a list of goods and services and then the dealer did not render those services, I can't call the police up and say, you know what, I ordered all of these illicit services, why don't you step in and adjudicate this dispute? So this is where the platform providers come in to try to moderate and mediate that dispute between vendors and buyers and yeah, so on various forums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's get into this because I mean, there there are some just very specific things that you've been able to identify in your research that help uh, alleviate that this this problem, right? Yep, absolutely. So on various forums and on different chats, there have been quite a bit of evidence that demonstrates that these moderators come in and they adjudicate disputes between buyers and sellers. Now, it's hard to verify, and even in the a surface transaction space, it's hard to verify whether or not someone said is what someone said is true. So they do their absolute best to get to the bottom of things and provide evidence that this transaction either did take place or didn't take place. One really specifically difficult thing for the platforms to verify is whether or not the buyer actually received the goods or services. Mm -hmm. So they could say, they could have the package delivered on time, but they could say, hey, I actually didn't, I didn't actually receive this good or service. However, the vast majority of these goods and services are delivered via USPS, FedEx, UPS. So tracking numbers are associated with these packages. Many of the vendors, depending on the volume and the specific good, or good that they are selling, they will engage in what's called OPSEC or operational security. Well, they will hide the illicit substance within something relatively innocuous. Mm -hmm. um, shoes, a book. A, a binder, um, makeup, that sort of thing. So if an individual vendor says, no, I actually did deliver this to you, they can demonstrate to the platform provider the tracking information of that product and say, no, it actually did get delivered. Now, you could get into the nuance and the individual buyer could say, oh, well, it was delivered, but it was stolen off my doorstep right. or something like that. But there are ways that vendors have to demonstrate to platform providers that no, I actually did send the services that I provided. Here's the information. Here is that it was verified that it was delivered. I've seen many instances where platform providers will come in and say that the vendor was in the wrong and therefore had to reimburse the buyer for the goods and services not rendered. There have also been instances where there have been buyers that have been falsely accusing vendors of not selling or shipping goods and services. And so at times, and this is more rare, but buyers will also get kicked off the platforms if they mm -hmm. have provided a nuisance or provided untrue information on the platform. And this is important for the platform providers to have true and honest transactions between buyers and sellers, and they want to foster that as much as possible. So there are reporting we've, mechanisms within these platforms that bring that attention to the moderators. We, we've only got a couple minutes left, but I wanted to bring up something that you mentioned that Ross Albrecht, uh, the, the pioneers, if you want to think of it, of, of the uh, dark net, brought up in, in his trial, and that is he said that you know, when you're transacting for illegal drugs through the uh, dark net, there's actually going to be less violence than in, in, when these transactions take place in the real world. If you could sort of very briefly ex explain to us this, this link between violence 
and illegality in, 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 in this third party enforcement. Yep, absolutely. So if we think about a typical on the ground drug market, oftentimes our mind goes to violent cartels. And the reason behind this is what we were talking about previously with regards to third party enforcement. Individuals engaged in illicit substance or illicit service transaction do not have a, a police force to go to. So what they do is they have to provide their muscle in house. And that's why violence is associated with these cartels. They provide threats, which tries to align incentives of buyers and sellers. Um, they also can adjudicate disputes. Gangs are typically associated with drugs, um, violent cartels. So this is in this surface drug space. Now, the dark net, you can think of a combination of just surface web purchases like eBay or Amazon meets surface or on the ground drug markets. And you have the combination of these markets. And because I know Weed Guy 101, I know he has 4.9 stars, but I don't actually know him as a person, even though there is a issue or conflict between us I cannot send someone to his yeah. house to threaten him or, or, or beat him up. Or steal like from a, him. Yeah. Like maybe a typical cartel would do. So because yeah. of this separation, it makes the platform providers want to provide extra services, but also well, because of this distance, um, make, does make it safer for individuals. Very, very fascinating. Was, was, unfortunately, though, we've come to the end of our time. Thank you very much for joining us. And thank you for joining Absolutely. us as well. Join us again next time for another eConversations. This has been eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. 